Hello, everyone. We're finishing up the book of Job today, chapters 40 through 42. And um, there's lots of good stuff in here. So let's lay our hand upon our mouth so we can hear and receive all that God has for us. So chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. In order for God to bring Job to complete submission to his lordship, God continues his argument. Although I don't know if argument is really the right word. God wants to overcome Job's resistance, to lead him into a complete realization of his love. It's the loving persistence on God's part that really shows us his patience and care and mercy for his people. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold, every one that is proud and abase him. Look on every one that is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and bind their faces in secret. Job's contention that he was innocent, that God was unjustly punishing him, brought him close to condemning God. And right now, the Lord is asking Job specifically, will he continue to assert his limited perspective of God's administration of the world, potentially at the cost of rejecting his justice and goodness? Okay. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee, Behold now Behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Now here there are commentators who refer to the Behemoth as the hippopotamus, the Leviathan as a giant crocodile or a whale. But what we need to know right now is that God is simply, simply emphasizing that if Job couldn't subdue the great creatures of this world, he certainly wasn't in any position to question and counsel God 
the maker of these creatures. Every one of us must faithfully, fully trust and submit to God's rule, the affairs of mankind and the lives of God's followers. We must trust God and maintain our faith in him during sufferings and afflictions, as well as times of blessing. Okay, verse 16. Lo now, his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food, where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees, in the covert of the reed and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river, and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, or his tongue with a cord, which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant for ever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird, or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down, even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportions. Who can discover the face of his garment? Or who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together. They cannot be sundered. By his niecings a light doth shine and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. 
out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, nor the hibergeon. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Slingstones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp, pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not like his, who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. So now we've reached chapter 42. This is Job's final answer to God, one of complete humility and submission to the revelation which God has given. Job confesses that God does all things well, that everything God permits to occur, he does so with purpose and in wisdom. Job admits that even the suffering of the righteous has meaning and a divine purpose. Job also admits that God's ways are beyond mankind's comprehension. Out of misunderstanding, Job declared they were unjust. A note here. In all of his suffering, in all of his prayers, Job did not once sin against God. His misunderstanding and his complaints against God led him very close to pride and to a belief that God was not perfectly good. But with the appearance and the revelation of God Almighty, Job's perspective changed completely. Job acknowledged his error. He was ready to submit and serve God no matter what. He would fear and love God because God is worthy because he is God. With or without health, with or without personal gain, prosperity, loved ones. Job committed himself to God in faith, hope, and love. Still, he's still suffering. That hasn't ended yet. He still doesn't know why he's suffering. But Job proved Satan's accusation wrong. He vindicated God's power to redeem and reconcile man to himself.
Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job prayed to see his Redeemer. Now that longing of his was fulfilled. The Lord's words and his presence bring a greater revelation of God's ways and of God's character. It is this personal experience that transforms Job by a sense of forgiveness, a renewed confidence in the goodness of God, and the reassuring experience of God's love. God appearing to Job was a vindication of Job's uprightness, an assurance for all of us faithful believers, the Lord will accept sincere questions when things are taking place that don't make sense, when there's unexplained adversity and suffering, we can ask. God is patient with us. He sympathizes with our weaknesses and our misunderstandings, even our anger and frustration. Just like Job, if we endure, God will manifest his presence, and he will extend his care to us. In response to God's revelation, Job humbles himself. He repents. Now the word repent, this means that Job considered himself and his moral rightness nothing more than dust and ashes before a holy God. Job didn't retract what he said about his life of righteousness and integrity, but he did acknowledge his accusations and his complaints against God were not appropriate for man to make. And so he repented for this. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So the Lord is condemning Job's friends for their theology of prosperity and suffering, their accusations against Job. Remember, the main errors these friends made were that they taught a retributive principle 
of prosperity and suffering. The righteous are always blessed. The wicked always experience adversity. They also exhorted Job to admit to a sin he had not committed, that he might escape his suffering and receive God's blessings once again. In their counsel, they were tempting Job to use God for personal gain. If Job had followed their advice, he would have discredited God's faith in him. He would have confirmed Satan's claim that Job feared God simply for blessings and gain. They had also spoken arrogantly, claiming God's sanction for their false doctrine and theology. God declared what Job said about him was right. He didn't mean everything Job said was accurate, but simply that Job's response to his friends was honest before God, that Job's attitude was pleasing to him. God understands, and he will permit errors in our prayers. He allows us to question him, his ways, but it's got to be with hearts that are sincerely committed to him. When we're questioning him and his ways, why are we questioning? One thing I love here, God calls Job my servant. Twice God says that his prayer was accepted. This was full restoration for Job into God's favor. Spiritual authority was given. God hears Job's intercessory prayers for his friends, all because of Job's righteous standing with God, because he did not falter. Not once did he curse God. Okay. Verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning for he had fourteen thousand sheep, and six thousand camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Keren-Hapuch, and in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job an hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, 
even four generations. And so Job died, being old and full of days. This is the restoration of Job's fortune, and it reveals God's purpose for every one of his faithful children. God's redemptive purpose to Job's suffering was accomplished. God allowed Job to suffer for reasons Job never, I don't think, ever had the opportunity to understand. God never allows us to suffer without a purpose, most often a spiritual purpose. We may not understand the reasons, but this is when we trust God. We know his perfect justice. He will do what is eternally best for us and for his kingdom. Job's reconciliation with God and his reception of the abundant life confirm, no matter what hardship or pain we experience, in God's time, he will reach out. He will help us if we persevere. He will bring healing and restoration. But it needs to be in his time. James 5.11 says, Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. When we remain faithful to God in the midst of the trials and the afflictions in this life, we will come to a joyous and blessed state where we will see and experience the presence of God for all of eternity. God always has a purpose. It's so difficult sometimes to understand that we don't need to know. But perhaps it is then that we should pray for the Lord to increase our faith so that we too can live many days and when we die, be old and full of days. That's it for now. We will see you tomorrow when we will start in the book of Isaiah.